Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm glad you have joined us. We're going to talk this hour about the Supreme Court of the United States, which wrapped up its current term last week with two blockbuster opinions. One about gerrymandering, and that decision has an effect on a lawsuit that was unfolding here in the state of Michigan over the maps that were drawn here after the 2010 census. We're going to talk with Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson uh, about the effect here uh, of that opinion. But we're also going to talk about the ruling on the census and the citizenship question that the Trump administration wants to add to the census. Uh, We're going to talk with Chuck Lane, who is uh, an opinion writer for The Washington Post, someone who has followed the court for a long time, someone who covered the court when I was covering the court uh, in the early 2000s. We're going to have a really interesting conversation, I think, about what is going on uh, in Washington. But first, last week, of course, the U.S. Supreme Court closed the door on lawsuits over partisan gerrymandering. The controversial decision effectively kills this Michigan lawsuit that would have forced the state to redraw many of its districts before the 2020 election. But Michigan is still among a handful of states that has decided on its own to eliminate partisan district drawing. That's where we want to start the conversation. Uh, And I want to welcome Michigan Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson to the conversation to talk about what we saw from the court last week. Jocelyn, welcome back to the show. Good morning. Uh, So let's start uh, with your reaction to this decision. Was this what you expected uh, or were you surprised? I was surprised that the court went frankly, much further than was required by the case in shutting the door to any future claims of partisan gerrymandering. And at a, at a moment when you know four lower courts had found that states had violated the Constitution in drawing districts to rig partisan outcomes, for the court to say, not only are we going to not agree with any of those decisions, we don't want to hear any more claims of the sort, was as the dissenting justice um, Elena Kagan, Justice Kagan wrote, you know, the first time in the court's history uh, that the court said just because we can't agree to a standard for what is unconstitutional means we're not going to hear any future claims. So it was um, it was very striking. It was a it was a decision that uh, uh, you know it was a sharp turn away from decades of case law. Um, and uh, I think for that reason, while anything can happen on the last day of the Supreme Court term, few expected uh, a decision that sweeping. So, so I, I, I thought after reading the decision that a couple things might might be at play, and I want to bounce them off of you. One uh, is that you know, as much as partisan gerrymandering has changed, especially in the last two cycles, uh, first 2000 and then 2010, because of technology and and uh, it's that's made it a lot easier for people who have expressly partisan intents to to really uh, draw districts uh, that that take into account you know the difference in one house uh, and the way that the people in that house vote and the house next door, for instance. Uh, and we've seen a, mm-hmm. you know a more pernicious, I think, effort to try to take advantage of those kinds of things. But but that's just kind of a new iteration of maybe the oldest problem in the republic, right? I mean, this has always been a process that reflects partisan interests. And I think it, mm-hmm. it's been difficult for the courts to determine whether, you know, uh, whether something that is expressly a political process uh, can be cabined somehow by the law 
you know, absent some other serious violation like a violation of the Voting Rights Act or or, or the Fourteenth Amendment more generally. I mean, I, do you do you feel as though that the Chief Justice was kind of saying, you know, that's enough. This has been going on for two hundred and forty some years. Uh, it is a political process, and the political branches should work it out. Well, it is. It's interesting because, as you mentioned, the court does call it a political thicket. They don't want to wade into, but they will when uh, there's uh, racial gerrymandering or a violation of the equal protection or equal population requirement. Mm-hmm. Where there's, um, uh, and, and there's, you still even debate about about where the line is and what the standard is in those uh, scenarios. And so, to me, uh, while I can appreciate the argument that the chief justice is making that we, you know, we, we, the the court doesn't belong in, in that, um, area. The fact that the court is in that area in other claims, uh, is, you know, to me kind of is, you know, calls into question the, (laughs) the sincerity of that argument. Uh, and, and in addition, you know, we, we have a federal government of checks and balances and the federal court, uh, has checked political decisions Throughout its history, that's essentially its role uh, in enforcing the Constitution and the promises of the Constitution. And so, uh, it, you know, there are there are times where perhaps um, you know for for um, backlogs on the court or you know other types of administrative reasons, the court may say we want to make this a higher standard. But for the court to again close the door completely to any potential even evolutions in the future of districting that may um, be essentially silencing the will of the voters uh, to further partisan goals um, seems just counter to the promises of the Constitution. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the, other, the other dynamic, I think, uh, that seemed to be at play here in the Chief Justice's thinking was what happened here in Michigan last uh-huh. year, this idea that voters themselves said, well, we've had enough of this and we would like to do it differently and it's not just Michigan that uh, that has done that I mean we've we've seen earlier a couple of other states uh, Ohio also uh, has said they don't want to they don't want to participate in partisan gerrymandering any longer I, I I feel as though in some ways that gave cover to the mm-hmm. conservatives on the court who are who are want to defer to the political uh, branches anyway on political questions it, it kind of gave power to the idea that this is something that the court doesn't need to to be involved in to police yeah, yeah so, certainly yeah i think that's the other piece of it and i think as someone who taught these cases prior to going into the role I'm currently in and and uh, seeing the evolution over time it is also important to note that the court has never, the Supreme Court had never um, found a standard of when districts had been drawn to be too partisan, right. uh, even though there were pretty stark examples throughout the court's history of it. And and so that always, what, always when I was trying to teach the cases, challenging. Uh, and uh, I think that the finding that this year that there were there were all these district courts, including Michigan's and Ohio's, uh, that had found a standard that that they that they implemented uh, effectively was an indication that an objective court might go in in a different direction and find a standard. But that said, it's interesting that Michigan and Ohio are both, as you mentioned, states that have now, because citizens have demanded it, just said, you know, we're we're done with um, 
uh, and especially now that they can't seek recourse through the courts, uh, watching our districts being drawn in a partisan way, we're taking over the process. And that's certainly what's happened here in Michigan. Uh, and, and to me is the silver lining in all this, that, uh, that, that the question before the court applied to the 2020 districts, but beyond that, citizens will be drawing our districts here in Michigan. Uh, and that provides us an opportunity, citizens an opportunity to uh, ensure districts are drawn fairly in the future. Hmm. My guest is Jocelyn Benson. She is the Secretary of State here in Michigan. And we are talking about last week's blockbuster ruling from the U.S. Supreme Court about partisan gerrymandering. Uh, There was some expectation that perhaps the court might give power to new skepticism, a lot of new skepticism about uh, the limits uh, of partisan gerrymandering around the country. Instead, the court went the opposite direction and said uh, not only did they not find instances of unconstitutional uh, political gerrymandering in a couple of cases, uh, but that they didn't want to see any more cases uh, related to this, that uh, the federal courts are going to stay out of this question uh, in the future. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call and tell us what your reaction was to the Supreme Court's decision on gerrymandering last week. Uh, Do you trust our government institutions to protect voting rights and fair representation for all Americans? Uh, And do you think that Michigan maybe is showing the way forward on this issue uh, by doing what we did last year, which was have a referendum in which citizens decided that we would no longer allow partisan bodies to draw district lines. As always, the number on the phones here is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. Or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and uh, we'll try to work you into the conversation. Uh, Jocelyn, I, I want to talk about how this maybe affects uh, proposal two, uh, which was the 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 referendum last year, in which we decided that uh, that we were no longer going to to participate in partisan gerrymandering. Um, there, there. I mean, there are no obvious immediate effects, but I wonder um, wh- whether this means anything different for the process that we're about to to undertake. Well, it it. it it certainly means that the citizens, the 13 citizens that make up the, the commission also um, have, um, that if that if citizens feel that they've acted too partisan, there's no recourse from the courts. <laughs> but my hope and expectation is that's not going to be the case. And the data shows that when citizens are given the opportunity to draw their own districts, they do put people first as opposed to any partisan interest. And the body, uh, the citizens commission of 13 members that will be seated will be balanced with four Democratic, four Republican and five independent um, representatives mm-hmm. uh, from you know areas throughout the state. So that, to me, as as Justice Roberts notes, as the Supreme Court noted in its majority opinion, is is really the answer moving forward to a lot of uh, an effective answer to the, ch- the the fears that especially now partisanship will will rule the districting process and uh, gives us an opportunity for citizens to ensure fair and impartial districts moving forward if they take that opportunity. And and that really is is my focus now. We've set up a a web portal, redistrictingmichigan.org. My office will administer the the process for seating the commission, and it will be a random selection process, and we're encouraging citizens everywhere to apply where the application is available later this year uh, because uh, the more citizens engaged at this process, the better um, opportunity we have to ensure fair districts hmm. in the future. Yeah. 
Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Let's go to Tom in Detroit. Tom, welcome to Detroit Today. Yeah, good morning to both of you. You know, and I'm so glad that here in Michigan we did it the way we did it because had this, I think, had this thing just completely, which it did, go to the Supreme Court, they would have smacked this down, and then what recourse would we have? And as you said, Steve, is Michigan going to be the one to show the way? And I think that we are because, as you know, what you got, four, four, and five, you can't ask for any more, you know, balance and equality than that. And you know, you're talking about the makeup of the new, yeah, the makeup, the new, right? Uh, and, and even uh, you know, the um, whole thing with Jerry. How in the world can you be? All right, say for instance, here if it happened, you know, you got the 14th district, which is the largest Democratic voting block in the in the state, and a Republican can set up house and win and win an election. Now, something's wrong with that picture. <laughs> and I think, and I think this this you know the the four, four, and five, the thirteen—they're going to get this straight, and then, you know, in terms, and even and, um, and, and Attorney Benson, yes, um, Secretary Benson, will this affect even the the drawing or the makeup of you know, like the thirteenth, fourteenth uh, district, because we go from the gross points all the way up to Pontiac. Yeah, no, I, mm-hmm. I, I, I yeah, think I everyone I know <laughs> seems to live in that district, uh, no matter I mean, where they live in the region. Yeah, yeah right. Um, uh, th- that's a great question, Tom. Uh, you know, th- um, how how different the process will be after 2020 and how that might affect the way that the map looks. I mean, one of the things that's really interesting here in Michigan, Jocelyn, is if you go back to the 2000 drawing uh, of, of districts, which was also done on a partisan basis, it's it, the map looks really different than it did in, in mm-hmm. 2010. I mean, in, uh, there there was kind of an acceleration of an effort, mm-hmm. I think, to, to, to draw it yeah. on a partisan basis. Um, that's a concern now. Oh, sorry. Go, yeah, go ahead. That's right. <laughs> so, go well, ahead. that's a concern now, frankly, in other states, uh, because now that the fence has been removed entirely, you can't even bring claims, you can't even use um, the possibility of a of a of a challenge uh, to cabin the um, the partisan interests of either party in drawing districts. I think we are going to see um, in other states where legislators and elected officials are still drawing districts, um, you know, possibly a significantly more partisan uh, rigging and gerrymandering in the future, which is also where Michigan can lead. If we uh, and if citizens engage in our redistricting process in this next cycle, which is just around the corner, we can influence what other states and citizens others in other states call on or, or organize to implement in their states, um, because you know Michigan has an opportunity to to, to show when citizens are put in charge, fair districts uh, rule the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's also important to make the point, though, that the, the court is not saying that there won't be review for, for instance, violations of the Voting Rights Act, although mm-hmm. the, 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 the shape of that looks really different, thanks to Chief Justice Roberts as well, uh, mm-hmm. taking some of the teeth out of it, um, and, and more general uh, you know, forms of racial gerrymandering, those kinds of things. I mean, you still, you still have federal review of all of those provisions of the Constitution. It's just politics that they're saying mm-hmm. can't be reviewed on a, on a, on a basis in the courts. Yes, uh, just partisanship, and so so that um, you know, to me again, says the court will still examine claims, just not 
those particular claims. And uh, and and so that said, I think you know, in in us moving forward in Michigan, uh, I think for citizens to embrace the opportunity to apply on the commission is step one. Uh, but the other piece of it is is after the commission is seated, which will be just about eighteen months from now in October, November of twenty twenty, uh, they'll have a year to draw maps. And it's very important that when it, in drawing those maps, that process also be transparent and open to the public, uh, and uh, as opposed to you know. W- w- in Michigan, previously, we had not just politicians drawing our districts, but doing so behind closed doors without citizen input. Uh, and so uh, when this commission is seated, it's, it's, it's critical for citizens to provide input to the commission on what they want their districts to look like so that the 14th, the 13th, and other districts around the state have the, the voice of citizens influencing how they're drawn. And of course, the Voting Rights Act still will apply uh, and, uh, in, in, in throughout the state, uh, in our state legislative and congressional districts. Uh, but with citizen involvement at every step of this process and transparency, I think we will see a map on the other side of this process that is much more in line with what the citizens of Michigan want. Okay, Jocelyn Benson, Secretary of State, always great to have you here with us on Detroit Today. Thanks for having me. Up next, we're going to talk more about last week's Supreme Court rulings with Washington Post columnist Charles Lane, who says progressives dodged a bullet with the gerrymandering ruling. We'll talk about what he means when he says that. We also want to continue to hear from you, 313-577-1019. What do you think about the gerrymandering ruling and the ruling about a citizenship question on the census? We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm glad you've tuned in. We're talking this hour about the wrap-up of this year's Supreme Court term, which happened last week and ended with two pretty blockbuster rulings. One about partisan gerrymandering, in which the court said not only that it not did not find uh, unconstitutional political influence over the line-drawing process in a couple of cases, but that it would no longer be reviewing cases on the basis of politics. Uh, The other ruling was about the census and whether the Trump administration can add a citizenship question to the census that uh, we'll all answer uh, next year when it comes to our houses. Uh, we want to continue to hear from you this hour. What do you think about these rulings? What do you think uh, in particular about the gerrymandering ruling, which has an interesting wrinkle here in Michigan, uh, where last year we voted to stop doing uh, line drawing on a partisan basis and to have an independent commission appointed to draw our lines after the 2020 census. Do you think that's the actual cure for what the lawsuit sought to remedy? Uh, Or do you think the court had it wrong and that the courts still need to be involved in this process? As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. Or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll try to work you into the conversation. And I want to welcome another voice to this conversation now. Charles Lane is an editorial writer and columnist for The Washington Post. He wrote a column last week said that uh, that was titled, Progressives Should Be Glad They Lost the Supreme Court Gerrymandering Case. Chuck, welcome to Detroit Today. 
It's great to be on with you, Steve. Yes. Long time no see. I know. I should say up front that Chuck and I uh, were uh, correspondents covering the Supreme Court together in the early 2000s. He was working for the Washington Post then uh, in that capacity, and I was working for Knight Ritter newspaper. So we have had these conversations many times before. <laughs> this is the first time on air, though. Uh, so, uh, Chuck, I want to start with uh, with your piece last week uh, and, and your reaction to the gerrymandering ruling. Why do you think liberals should be celebrating this? Well, um, I know they're not celebrating, and in a way the headline was a little bit tongue-in-cheek. <laughs> but I do think that... In a way, this situation is already, as you pointed out uh, in your reference to the situation in Michigan with the new redistricting commission, the situation is already on its way to improving to a, a position where we're sort of better off with respect to partisan gerrymandering than we were when all this litigation got going a few years ago. Just to back up a step, I want to be clear that I think partisan gerrymandering is a real problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, very bad practice, whoever's doing it. And of course, as you know, the court was dealing with the case of a Republican gerrymander in North Carolina and a Democratic one in Maryland. Mm-hmm. But what I was trying to remind people of in my column was that when you're asking the Supreme, the federal courts to control partisan gerrymandering, that means ultimately the Supreme Court. And that means ultimately a five-justice conservative majority. So if the Supreme Court had decided to uh, remain involved in this, that would have meant that all the standards that would be written coming in the years to come would have been written by people who are generally regarded uh, by progressives as not very reliable, Hmm. the five Republican appointees. And so in a way, they renounced a power that they could have used very mischievously. So I think that's the silver lining here for progressives, along with the fact that the uh, problem is being dealt with through other means. Yeah, you say in your column, uh, the issue is now in the hands of voters at the grassroots, which is where it should be. A great danger, the corruption of the federal courts by repetitive intervention in sordid partisan fights has been averted. I mean, one of the things that that's really interesting about this is that I mean, this is this is the one of the oldest dynamics in the republic, the idea of who draws the lines uh, that that you know decide who's going to represent us in in the political branches and the influence of politics over that it, it's always seemed to me difficult to come up with a standard that would say, well, this much politicking is okay, but this much politicking, which is maybe a little more, is not. And I think that's kind of what the Chief Justice was was relying on. I mean, I think he ran to that uh, confusion as a crutch uh, in, his, yes. in his ruling. Yes. And uh, candidly, I agree with him. Funnily enough, I sort of agreed with the dissent too, Elena Kagan, when she said, my gosh, when you look at these two maps in North Carolina and Maryland, it's Hard to hard to say there was anything sort of but partisan motivation behind them. But I think what the Chief Justice was warning everyone against was these may seem like easy cases uh, because they're so extreme, but you can be sure that the next one will be a little more on the fence and a little more on the fence and a little more on the fence. And the next thing you know, the courts, the federal courts are tied up in that. One of the things I warned against in my column was, and I think it's very important, We have enough trouble with our confirmation process already 
Think of what happens when the Senate and the White House know that the judges they're appointing at all levels of the federal bench are going to be ultimately responsible for congressional districting. Mm. And that, by the way, is a reason I'm comfortable with state court intervention. So, for example, Pennsylvania's Republican gerrymander was undone by the Pennsylvania State Supreme Court. Right. And I think that's an appropriate level for judicial intervention because it contains whatever um, broader national fallout there might be within a, a single state. Now, of course, there, there are still states where the um, lines look kind of problematic to a lot of people. But even there, there's a little ray of hope. Think about Wisconsin, mm -hmm. where uh, now you have divided government. The Republicans aren't completely in control. You have a Democratic governor who can veto the next map. And that, too, creates an opportunity for a fairer process. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Uh, Nancy on Facebook says, my reaction is anger, but I'm not surprised since it's 5-4 conservatives. She says, the pro side of this is that states can decide for themselves whether or not they're going to allow it. Let's hope that Michigan state legislature won't. Uh, and then the cons, she says, is that SCOTUS is saying that it's allowing states to play with a stacked deck should they choose to. Anyone who's not in favor of ending gerrymandering is in favor of a rigged game. This isn't about liberal versus conservative or Republican versus Democrat. It's right versus wrong. Uh, there, there was a lot of really angry reaction to this case. Uh, yes. And people saying, well, this just you know blows the doors open to even worse behavior on the part of legislatures. I don't know that I necessarily uh, feel like it's uh, you know such a harbinger of doom because I think public sentiment has changed so much about this issue uh, that that um, I think the people will decide for themselves, look, uh, we either don't want to do it this way or we're going to put our own restraints on, uh, on legislators. I, I kind of agree with that, Stephen. I would point people to the results of the 2018 congressional elections, where the whole battle across the country was fought on a map that was heavily gerrymandered mm -hmm. by Republican state legislatures in 2010. And indeed, it was that map and the fact that in 2012 it produced a Republican majority of the House, even though Republicans got fewer votes for Congress, that really stimulated uh, a pushback against gerrymandering, particularly by Democrats. But look what happened. The Democrats fought it out on that same map this time and won a huge majority. And the reason for that has to do with a lot of things like Donald Trump alienating the suburbs. And those suburbs that were kind of Republican in 2012 or 2014 have flipped and gone blue. And um, I think that uh, you also point to the referenda that number of states have, have used to impose redistricting commissions that mm -hmm. will be more to use a trite phrase, fair and balanced. Um, and, uh, you know, there's an interesting point here, though, and that is that Chief Justice Roberts voted in a previous case, he was in the dissent then, that those referenda to set up redistricting commission were not authorized by the Constitution. He wouldn't yeah. have allowed them. Right. And yet here in this case, he actually cited them as one of the ways in which <laughs> one of the reasons we don't need federal court intervention. So now he's committed to that court precedent, or so it would seem. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number. Let's go to Steve in Royal Oak. Steve, welcome to the program. 
Good morning. Hey, how are you? Very good, thank you. Um, I was uh, uh, recalling a, a recent case where um, there was uh, a state, and I don't know which state it was, but they sort of gave up on the whole idea of any independence in this process, and they just basically said, we're just going to go back and forth, and whoever's in power gets to draw the first district, and then the opposite party draws the second district, and and they go back and forth and uh, and come up with a map that way rather than any sort of farcical uh, choice to try and go for a real independent commission, which <laughs> usually ends up not being independent. So, so Steve, I, before I before I let our guests uh, talk about that, I, I'm I'm a little curious about your skepticism here. Uh, you seem you seem to not believe that we can do it on an independent basis. T- tell me tell me why you feel that way. I, I just think that politics eventually is gonna is gonna creep in, and uh, it, it just always does. And uh, whoever has the power is gonna try and get into that process and and throw their weight around. Uh, so rather than continue to beat your head against the wall, uh, uh, for instance, in North Carolina, where they said, well, we can't get 11 to 2, so we'll take a 10 to 3, mm-hmm. uh, 7 to 6 sounds a whole lot more fair to me, <laughs> even if you're on the 6 side. Uh, so uh, it, it at least pulls things much closer to reality than what we're seeing right now. Mm. Uh, Steve, I really appreciate the call uh, and the thoughts. Chuck, I don't remember which state that is either. That, that, that I, I don't either, but about. I think certainly his sentiment, which is that ultimately politics creeps into everything, alas, is kind of a realistic view. And by the way, that's another reason I think maybe everyone should be having at least some appreciation for what the court did because ultimately politics has a way of creeping in at the court. Sure. And so I think, though, that um, what we're into now is a situation where the technology and the computer capabilities are so sophisticated that people can draw districts with uh, tremendous specificity to maximize partisan advantage and so on. And yet, at the same time, that computer technology is available to the whole society, so there can be a check on really egregious excesses. So if, a, if an independent commission got really off the rails, um, there would be professors of political science and statistics out there who could say, hey, wait a minute, look what you could have done that you didn't. And so I think, actually, if, if, if Steve, your caller, is kind of okay with a 7-6 and indifferent as to which is the seven and which is the six, an independent commission is more likely to come up with that than probably other methods. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Again, Steve, thanks very much for the call uh, and the comments. Uh, You know, I want to ask you before I go back to the phones, uh, Chuck, uh, about what this means for states where there isn't a realistic opportunity to do something at the state level about uh, about partisan gerrymandering. So here in Michigan, as citizens, we have the right to put um, questions like that, constitutional questions, on the ballot. Uh, and we don't have to ask the legislature to do it. We just got to go out and get uh, enough signatures on a petition. There are a lot of states that, that it's much harder to do that in. And I, I wondered, as I was reading the Chief Justice's opinion, whether he 
whether he considered that difficulty, whether he thought about, you know, uh, yeah, in theory, um, the political branches can fix this, but maybe in practice, it's impossible. It so happens that the two states in this case, North Carolina and Maryland, are the ones where it is hardest. The hardest, sure. Yes. And in part, that's because North Carolina does not allow the governor to veto a redistricting map. So even though there's a Democratic governor, the state legislature, which is Republican, has a free hand. Now, there is a chance that the state Supreme Court, which is trending uh, against the uh, partisan gerrymandering, may have a say in that. The one that's really stymied is my very own state, and it's right here in our area, Maryland, yeah. where there is a Republican governor. Uh, the gerrymander was a an overwhelmingly pro-democratic gerrymander, uh, and the Republican governor could veto a map in 2020, but there's a veto-proof Democratic majority in the state legislatures called the General Assembly. So really, there's a very interesting dynamic setting up, which is that the sort of Democratic Party leaders of the legislature are against an independent commission, which is the governor's proposal the Republican governor's proposal. And yet I suspect a lot of their constituents, their reform-minded constituents who are Democrats in some of the blue counties of Maryland, Mm -hmm. might think differently. So we're facing a pretty interesting uh, few months coming up here in Maryland where Mm -hmm. that gets hashed out. And and the, the power that the chief justice says that the people themselves have to do this, where does that where does that sort of raise its head in a state like Maryland, which is a state I lived in for a long time as well, and then remember this kind of push and pull, uh, which which looks different there than it does in a lot of states because, I mean, Democrats outnumber Republicans, I think, something like three to one or something in uh, in, in that state. But but how do how do people like Republicans, for instance, uh, in, in Western Maryland get some control over uh, over the process? Well, historically, at least, say, in the last 20 years or so, when the state went really blue, um, the Republicans' best shot at power in the state has been by electing a governor. Um, we, we have a, Our current governor is a Larry Hogan, mm-hmm. who's just been reelected. And before him, there was a two-term Democrat, uh, Martin O'Malley. But before that, Bob Ehrlich, who was a Republican. Uh, and it, it, historically, the map had been drawn so that there were essentially two Republican districts and six right. Democrats. And so uh, what the Democrats did after the 2010 census was really press their advantage and eliminate one of those two Republicans. The only leverage I think Republicans in this very, very blue state would have is the governor's office and whatever moral pressure or political mm-hmm. levers uh, Larry Hogan can figure out how to pull, but they are playing a very weak hand in the state. Uh, again, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number on the phones. Let's go to William in Hamtramck. William, welcome to the show. Hi, how are you today? Good. How are you? Okay. Excuse me. I just wanted to uh, tell you something. My statement might take a little bit long, but Richard Nixon, uh, when he became president the second time, he everybody knows that he cheated in the election. The Watergate situation, everything. And then this man puts a man, his name is William Rehnquist, mm-hmm. in the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. And then um, George W., again, everybody knows that he cheated in Florida, and the popular vote he lost by 600,000 votes to Al Gore. There was a shenanigan. 
the Supreme Court interferes and puts George W. into the White House by a score of five to four, and one of the fives was Bill Rehnquist. So Nixon cheats, Nixon goes to the White House, Nixon puts Bill Rehnquist <laughs> in the Supreme Court, and then George W. cheats, uh, Rehnquist puts George W. into the White House, and then George W. puts John Roberts and Samuel Alito in the Supreme <laughs> Court. I mean, what kind of democracy is this that, I mean, uh, I mean, the Supreme Court is supposed to be filled up by a president who mm. is really and truly elected, uh, not the one that Supreme Court puts George W. into the White House, and then George W. puts Samuel Alito, John Roberts in the Supreme Court, and not these two, uh, last week, did this gerrymandering, approved this gerrymandering, I mean, I mean, what kind of democracy is this? William, that is, a, that is a really great question, and I love your, uh, your weaving of history, uh, both electoral and court history, uh, into, the, into the question. I mean, I think that is, that is one of the things that has people in high dudgeon, Chuck, is, is yes. this idea that there's a little bit of you know, uh, back and forth here between these two branches in terms of solidifying power um, in a way that, that seems to, to disrespect democratic impulses. I would only correct Williams' history in one respect, which is that Rehnquist was put on the Supreme Court before, before that election, uh, Nixon right? was reelected. Yeah. So you can't say that he's the result of whatever cheating went on with the Watergate. But I take the larger point, which is that people have real concerns about the legitimacy of our processes. And they're not wrong to have those concerns. There's a lot going on in our politics that really stinks. And the thing of it is that I feel if you're concerned about that, you would not want the federal courts involved in the gerrymandering mm -hmm. issue because it would just bring more politics into that branch than ever. And you know, I, I would say to William that I completely share the concern about gerrymandering, but I believe there, and maybe I'm being naive, but I think there are not only other, but potentially superior methods still available to deal with that particular problem. And, you know, the fact that, that he's in a way confirming the headline of my piece, which is progressives should be glad this decision wasn't left up to Samuel Alito right. and John Roberts sure. and all the rest but is still in the hands of other people kind of lower down the uh, governmental food chain. Yeah. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Chuck Lane of The Washington Post about the court. Uh, we're going to talk about the census decision from last week. We'll also talk about the SCOTUS uh, decision to take up a DACA case next season, and we'll recap what we saw in the first Democratic debate. As always, stay with us on the phones as well. 313-577-1019 is the number. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm glad you've joined us. We're talking this hour about the Supreme Court wrapping up its term last week with two big decisions, one on political gerrymandering, the other on this citizenship question that the Trump administration says it wants to add 
to the census, which will unfold in 2020. As always, uh, the number on the phones here is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll try to work you into the conversation. Uh, My guest is Chuck Lane, who is a columnist for The Washington Post, also somebody who covered the Supreme Court for The Post for a very long time. Uh, Chuck, I want to talk a little more about this uh, census question, which uh, i got to say up front is a very sensitive issue here in Detroit, uh, as well as lots of other places, but uh, the number of people... Uh, the, the number of people who have real concerns about that kind of question on the census um, is very high here, uh, given our immigrant population. Uh, and, of course, the stakes here in Detroit are quite high with the census. I mean, uh, population uh, determines all kinds of things uh, in terms of funding and, and representation. And we are a, a state and a city that's losing that battle over and over. Tell us what uh, tell us what the court said and what that means for those concerns. Well, in a nutshell, the Trump administration rather suddenly uh, announced that it wanted to ask people on the next census in 2020 whether or not they were citizens of the United States. A question that has been asked in the past, but not uh, in the recent past. And the concern that raised, of course, is that immigrants, whether legal or undocumented, might hesitate to respond to the census at all for fear of the repercussions of answering that, and that would result in an undercount in uh, certain parts of the country. Mm -hmm. A federal judge in New York City agreed with the opponents of that move and found through a pretty detailed examination of the decision-making process in the Trump administration that the reasons that Secretary of Commerce Wilbur Ross had given for asking this question were kind of dishonest and really just a pretext for what seems like an effort to help Republicans gerrymander in the future. So you see there was an interaction between these two cases. And the Supreme Court, with Chief Justice Roberts, uh, not with the conservatives this time, but with the four liberals, said, you know, Secretary Ross really didn't shoot straight about what it's reasons were for doing this, Mm -hmm. and therefore we uh, are going to join the district court in striking it down. And that was, we've been talking about the legitimacy of the court and legitimacy of politics. I think that really demonstrated that Chief Justice Roberts was very concerned, frankly, not only with the law, but with the appearances of something where a five-justice conservative majority would have sided with the Trump administration, even when there was very strong evidence that the Trump administration wasn't shooting straight, just wasn't telling the truth. And so that leaves the whole question of what will happen with the census in a certain amount of legal limbo, but it did represent some pushback by the Supreme Court against the executive branch. Yeah. And, and so where does that leave us? I mean, you hear the president now saying, oh, maybe we'll delay the census so I can figure this out. I'm not sure he can do that. Uh, but I think it's clear that the intent here may be just to, to frighten enough people uh, about whether they should answer the questions on the census or not uh, for fear that uh, perhaps, uh, you know, their, their, their legal status or uh, their immigration status in the in the country might come back to, to, to revisit them. You know, this really illustrates a very um, important aspect of the census as such, which is that it has to be regarded by everyone as an impartial inquiry. 
as a an institution that has nothing to do with politics or race or any other impermissible category that the public trusts. And it always really has been in our recent history. I mean, there have been wrinkles in that regard, but people trust the census. And what happened here is that on its face, a question about citizenship is not necessarily a problematic thing to ask. It has been asked in the past, but it all depends on the context and frankly, who's doing the asking. And what this case illustrated was that at a certain level, even somebody who's a pretty conservative Republican like John Roberts just didn't trust the guy who was doing the asking. And it was a kind of a, I think he felt it was a kind of better part of wisdom to not try to go forth with the census in 2020, at least not without some opposition, under circumstances where the entire group of people answering the questions didn't trust. And that's so important. Whatever you think of this decision, you have to agree that trust in the census is fundamental to our country's um, efficient working, not just in the political districting area, but government spending, statistical reliability, uh, statistical data, a whole range of issues. The, the public's confidence in the census is indispensable. Yeah, yeah. And you have the president uh, really trying to shake some of that confidence, I think. Uh, let's talk about what the Supreme Court is going to do next year when it comes back uh, in the fall. They're going to take up a DACA case. So what is that about? Well, as I understand it, basically the president, uh, DACA is, uh, uh, I hope I'm getting this acronym right, uh, well, we call it the Dream Act, right? The Dream. Let's just call it the Dreamers <laughs> Act. Basically, it's a, it's 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 not a law. It's an executive decision that President Obama made to defer the prosecution of young people who are in the country without documents, but who who came here when they were children and have really not grown up anywhere, known any other home, and are kind of you know they're sort of just stuck in limbo under the existing law. And he was in effect. Having failed to get a law through, he wanted to sort of parole them in through a very broad exercise of his discretion to prosecute them or not, which included giving them work permits and a whole bunch of other things. Not unconditionally, they had to prove they had clean records and so on. In short, the question here is, was was that uh, a lawful use of executive power by Obama? And was it a lawful use of executive power by Trump to kind of order an end to it? Right. And a couple of federal district courts have said, no, the, the President Trump's order to undo it uh, reflected a, an abuse of executive power. And so it's going to be a really important case uh, that will touch a real uh, nerve in the uh, in the middle of the 2020 election campaign. And DACA is a huge issue. It's it's a it's a, a really important one to the Democratic base. Frankly, it's an important one to the Republican base is on the other side of it. And so this pretty much guarantees that once again, the Supreme Court will find itself kind of, you know, in the middle of the political fight. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, before we uh, leave the, the court to talk just a little about the, the, the Democratic debate, uh, D-Town on Twitter says one ruling that's been ignored is the case of Curtis Flowers, where the court found that the DA consistently struck black jurors from the jury. Curtis has been tried six times for the same crime, each time ending in a different result. That was a, a really interesting uh, ruling. And uh, of course, the dissent written by Justice Thomas uh, in that in that case got some attention. I mean, uh, he seemed 
uh, almost enthusiastic, I guess, uh, in his defense of prosecutors who take uh, all, you know, their preemptory challenges and use them to get rid of black jurors. Well, the uh, court sometimes intervenes to do what, uh, as you'll remember from your time covering it, they call error correction. Right. And there wasn't necessarily a lot of wider constitutional repercussion from this, but this was sort of the defendant's last hope for justice was with the Supreme Court. And the emphatic ruling, written by Brett Kavanaugh, by mm -hmm. the way, yep. that there had been impermissible racial bias in this jury selection was a pretty important signal all the way down the line. And, you know, as you say, Justice Thomas, joined by Neil Gorsuch, would have deferred to that county prosecutor down in Mississippi. And I think a lot of people were stunned by that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's talk quickly about the debates. Uh, while you were you were tweeting pretty furiously about uh, the debates <laughs> while they were happening last week, you were more of a fan of Marianne Williamson than most people. Yes, uh, I saw. Tell <laughs> tell me what uh, what what it was about her that caught your interest. Well, I, maybe it was just because I was watching with my daughter who really liked her. But <laughs> uh, I'm l let's be clear. I have reservations about Marianne Williamson, and I'm not endorsing her uh, or. Uh, denying anyone, but I did think Marianne Williamson said something very important, albeit, you know, in a kind of fuzzy way, when she was talking about how Trump had won the election by harnessing fear, and therefore the Democrats had to harness love. Now, that's kind of new agey, but I think she was getting at something very important here, which is that you love him or hate him. But Donald Trump forged a connection with a large block of voters through emotion. And the Democrats, if they are going to win, have to do the same thing. But since he's kind of occupied the field as far as fear goes, they need to establish some kind of positive agenda, some kind of positive emotional link that really goes beyond, as she was saying, it sort of goes beyond ticking off a 10-point program to sure. do this or that with taxes. And so, you know, I... I can't say that uh, she overwhelmed me on policy during this debate, but I thought that was an insightful thing that she said. Yeah, and it's a, it's the kind of thing that uh, you know I, I'm not a big fan of debates taking place this early, uh, but it is the kind of thing that that um, you would only hear in a debate this early, right? I mean, a, a candidate like that wouldn't have survived uh, in the next year really <clears throat> to be, to get up on the stage, and so it's almost as if. Uh, there's a broader thinking taking place, I guess, during these uh, during these debates. Not only a debate this early, but a debate this gigantic yeah, with, right. 20, with 20 <laughs> candidates. Whatever, yeah. um, it does remind me a tiny bit of that clash long ago between Donald Trump and Carly Fiorina. Sure, sure. And, you know, Carly Fiorina wasn't going to win or anything, but she did have that moment where she said, I think all women know what you were trying to say, yeah. Mr. Trump. And uh, she really... She really registered with that point. Yeah. Okay, Chuck Lane, columnist for The Washington Post. It was really great to have you here with us on Detroit Today. Thank you, Steve. We'll have you back soon to talk about uh, your book. I'd uh, love to. Yeah. All right, uh, that's going to do it for me today. I will be back tomorrow, and I hope you will too. We're going to talk about gentrification and who's contributing to it, uh, who's pushing back against it. We'll have some experts on, and we'll take your calls. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.